What's up, 11 a.m.? How are we doing today? Hey, while we're all standing, let's just pray together. Jesus, thank you for every person you brought into this room today. It is not an accident or coincidence that each person is in here, and I pray that you would stretch us, move us, challenge us today through your ever-expansive gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, look at somebody next to you, tell them, I'm getting in a group today, and sit down. And if you said that and then you don't get in a group, you just lied. <laughs> don't do that. So many people in groups now. It's so easy. Hey, my name's Ethan. Welcome to church. If I haven't met you, I would love to meet you. And uh, on a daylight group launch, here's what I know is happening. There's a lot of people on the fence, maybe reluctant when it comes to the idea of a group. And I get that. We tell our story, it was a reluctant drive to a group in college that changed the trajectory of our lives for Doug and Ryan and myself, that we uh, got invited to be in a group, didn't wanna go, didn't wanna be around Christian people. Anybody feel me on that? <laughs> and that group changed our lives because we were all different, we all had different backgrounds and stories, but we challenged each other and grew together, and we are still in each other's corners to this day. A couple of us planted a church together, and we would have never guessed in that car what God would do with some people alongside us, and so I challenge you, to get in a group, get in a group. And uh, if you are reluctant, I get it. I've been there, like I said. My guess is you may say, I've got a busy schedule. I've got a lot going on in my life. I can't add another thing to the calendar. But really deep down, if you're honest, it's because you know if you go join a group that you're gonna be around people. And people are tough. People are challenging, right? We all have backstories and baggage. We all come with opinions and you get some people in a circle and Sometimes things are uncomfortable. Sometimes you're challenged. And we as human beings, our tendency is to kind of just, just draw a circle of us. These are my people. I'm just gonna kind of stick here and not take any risks and go out there to them, everybody else. That's our tendency. That's our nature as human beings. And what I believe is that Jesus wants to change that in us, to not have this mentality of us and them, us versus them, us against the world, and I think we're gonna see some of his transformative power today. And so simply put, the title today is We Are Four People. Now, that seems very self-explanatory when I say we are four people. And I thought that when I went into our staff meeting on Tuesday and told them the title of the sermon is We Are Four People. And then I had to explain to them what I meant by that. So you're probably all smarter than our staff, but <laughs> am I saying... We are four people, F-O-U-R, as Emily may have thought. Uh, at the 5 p.m. service in our first year as a church, we were four people. And thankfully, you guys brought some friends. So this wouldn't, so I'm not saying F-O-U-R. Maybe you're listening on Spotify, and I don't know why I looked to the camera. You can't see me, but not F-O-U-R. There would be no reason to give a sermon titled that. And Ryan wherever you ran off to, am I saying we are four people, F-O-R-E, like bad golfers who have to yell four? <laughs> Obviously not. I don't know why I would give a sermon about that, although I imagine we will probably find a metaphor out of this and utilize it at some point, but I'm not saying that, F-O-R-E. I'm just saying, as we all know and thought, we are four people in favor of people in support of people. Does everybody understand that? Okay. 
It went over a little better than the 9 a.m. Everyone was like, stop wasting our time, guy. Read the Bible. So we are four people. That's who we are as a church and who we will strive to be. And uh, we say a lot here, we are advocates for the Imago Day. What that means is we believe every human being was created in the image of God. No matter what your life looks like, no matter what you've done, where you've been, you were created in the image of God. And so when you meet somebody, you are seeing a picture of God. He uniquely crafted them and put himself into the creation. And we value people as such. And so an advocate, the, the definition for an advocate, what does that mean? It's a person who pleads on someone else's behalf. Hey, I will surrender myself, my rights. I will make sacrifices. I will do what it takes to advocate for somebody else, for the image bearer that they are. And I wanna talk about that today in terms of other people, but for some of you in this room, some of the other people conversation may be for another time because today you may just need to hear the next 30 seconds that you are created in the image of God, that you bear his image. And maybe things you've done or the life you're living make you question that and think God wouldn't want anything to do with me, but I hope today that you hear that he made you. He didn't have to make you. He chose to create you. He uniquely wired you and he put some of himself into this beautiful creation that is you. And when you start to walk with that understanding and you hear the goodness of the gospel and that he loves you enough not just to make you but to save you by sending his son from all the reasons why you would think he doesn't want anything to do with you, when that starts to get into who you are, it starts to transform how you see other people. Because we draw circles and we say, uh, those people over there, I, I don't have things in common with them or I don't like them. They're kind of, they're out there for me but you start to look at people and realize, oh no, but they are too created in the image of God. They're his kids. And my hope is that we would be people who move from this us versus them mentality and become advocates, that we would be for people. So I wanna illustrate this to you today uh, through a guy named Peter. He was one of Jesus' closest disciples and he had this extreme us versus them mentality just in his nature, but also in the time he lived in. And so the air that the Israelites had breathed through their history, if you read the Old Testament, it was very much us against them, us against the world. Warring nations, everybody wants to be superior to somebody else. And uh, so Peter kind of grows up in that kind of mindset. Hey, it's us against everybody, but even within his own culture, there were all these groups of people. And if you read some history and context around the time Jesus was on earth, you just kind of get the gist of like, nobody liked anybody. Nobody trusted anybody. Nobody was for anybody else. It was just like my little circle here. And so Peter had this circle that we can label us. And I think when we make our circle of us, my people, it tends to be people who are like me and then people that I like and people who like me. And they're the people I'm comfortable being around. We tend to cling to what's familiar rather than lean into what's foreign to us and try to learn and grow and be stretched. Instead, we like to stick to us in our human nature. And so if we fill this in for Peter, here's who I would put in his circle. Family, he had a wife, we know that because Jesus healed his mother-in-law and who knows how he felt about the in-laws, but he would say, these are, it's my family, they're in my circle. Andrew, his brother, they started walking with Jesus together and uh, you would assume they were kind of on the same page and walking and growing together. And then I put James and John in here. I didn't put all the disciples because Peter wouldn't have liked most of them when he starts walking with Jesus. But James and John were fellow fishermen, grew up in the same area, so they were kind of like, hey, even if they were rivals, he'd say, we see the world the same way. So they can be in the circle, and then of course Jesus, 
He liked him enough to give up his whole life and walk with him. So this is his circle of us, okay? We all do this. And now let's put it in contrast with them for Peter. And this is not an exhaustive list, and I'll talk about some of these groups later, but there's all these different types of people that he's about to go interact with and watch Jesus interact with. That in his mind, these are people unlike me. So we don't have things in common, whether it's because we think differently or vote differently or we look different than each other for whatever reason, they're not like me. And there's a lot of people within that that I don't like and that don't like me. So Peter is very much in this us versus them mentality. And I think there's a couple reasons that we as human beings develop this. In a lot of ways, it comes out of a, a false sense of superiority. And we've seen this all through history where people will push somebody else down to lift themselves up and think I'm better than them for whatever reason. Going completely against the idea that every human being is created in the image of God. But we see that. For some of us, maybe it's insecurity that somebody else brings out of us and we go, put them in the them category. I don't wanna deal with them. We see their life on social media or we hear what they're up to and we just think that makes me feel a certain way. A lot of times we draw these circles that has more to do with us than with them. Uh, for some of us, it's fear. We fear what we don't understand. We fear what we don't know, we fear what's different, and so we'd rather just cling to what's familiar. And maybe the most justifiable reason that people draw circles is pain, because there's people who's hurt, they've hurt me. A group of people or a person, they've hurt me, and so they're out there now. They had their chance, forget them. Us versus them. So Jesus starts taking these guys to school in this mentality. And uh, he starts with an audience that most people in this culture would say, them. Don't go near them. You'll catch what they have. The sinners, right? So he calls this tax collector Matthew, and Peter would have been furious that Matthew joined the team because he was an enemy. He had betrayed his own people, and he'd be like, We're, Jesus, what are you talking about? That guy's not coming with us. I'm not even gonna look at him. And then they go have a dinner party at Matthew's house, and a bunch of characters are there. And the disciples are uncomfortable, I'm sure, but the Pharisees, the ultimate us versus them mentality, they show up, and here's what happens. It says that the Pharisees saw this dinner going on. They asked the disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And I think Peter, if he was asked that question at that time, would have been like, I don't know. I'm not on board with this. I get it. I'm asking the same question. And Jesus catches wind of this. And Jesus says, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus starts expanding the circle. He starts going, oh, this isn't just for us in this little group here that think we have this figured out. This is expanding for you guys, the people that you're willing to associate with, the people that I'm gonna call you to have dinner with. Jesus is expanding the circle. And he will continue to do this and take his disciples to school. And so with that idea of going to school, I, I'm a logical person and I thought that I maybe could illustrate what Jesus shows to his disciples through algebra. Anybody like algebra out there? It's a weird thing, it does feel like a weird thing to cheer for. <laughs> I loved algebra in school because it was logical and I could see the, the process and the solution and it made sense to me. So maybe that's just how my brain works and humor me if you're not into it. But uh, let's go through some basics of algebra to see math of relationships with Jesus. So are we all comfortable with this? A plus B equals C. Very simple algebra, right? Two variables and in a result when you add them together. Okay, now, now it's gonna get complicated. We have three equations, okay? All of them have A, the same variable. They all end in the same result. And if that's the case, what's true about these three different variables? 
They're the same. They have to have the same value. B equals D equals E, right? Everybody got that? If you're one of those people that's like, the second that letters <laughs> became a part of math, I retired <laughs> in ninth grade. <laughs> and now they have apps for everything, so it doesn't matter that you didn't care about math. But maybe this will help you if you're still a little lost. Here's some numbers we can put to this. Katie, hit us with some numbers here. One plus B equals four. B has to equal three, right? Okay, one plus D, one plus E, they all equal the same result, so they all have to have the same value. We're, we're all good. Class is cool with this. Now let's apply this to people. Here's what Jesus is showing his disciples. Okay, so there's gonna be, so you, you're gonna be the constant variable in this thing. You're gonna always be in this equation because it's gonna be you encountering other people and there's gonna be a result of that relationship. So let's start with the easy one. You plus your friend. Somebody that's probably in your circle that you would say, yeah, that's my people. What does Jesus say about our friends? Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. So the result of you plus your friend is supposed to be love. First John 3.16 says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus laid down his life for us and we ought to do the same for our brothers. Okay, so we're supposed to love our friends and we would all hear that and the disciples, Peter would be like, okay, James and John, they're okay. I can love them. Now Jesus starts to stretch them. What about your neighbor? What does Jesus say about your neighbor? Well, he's asked, what's the greatest commandment? He says, love God and love your neighbor as yourself. So the result of you plus your neighbor, love. And he starts stretching people because he gets asked the question when he says this, well, who's my neighbor? Who is that? In this kind of a, a culture, most of the people that live right around you are probably a lot like you. So Jesus tells this story to illustrate who a neighbor is through the Good Samaritan, right? And his audience did not like this story because the hero of the story was someone that they despised for racial and religious reasons. And in the story, he says it was the Samaritan who was the neighbor because he came alongside this man who'd been beaten and left on the side of the road and he advocated for him. He, at his own expense, took care of this guy. He took him in. So that's what a neighbor looks like. And all of a sudden, the disciples are going, whoa, 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 whoa. You're starting to stretch who, who I'm supposed to interact with and love, Jesus. People that might look differently than me and act differently than me and think differently than me, that's, that's gonna be a challenge. But of course, there is that group of people I don't have to love, right, Jesus? Like the worst of the worst people, my enemies. What does Jesus say? He says, you... I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Jesus was telling them, you have heard it said. This was taught out of the Old Testament. You've heard it said that you are to love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That you, like, you're licensed to have some people that you just hate. That was kind of the way of this time. And Jesus goes, but I tell you, the Son of God, I'm here now to tell you, no, no, no. Love your enemies. So the result of you plus your enemy is love. So if we bring all of our math together in this proof of concept, what we see here is that we have had through this whole process, you, this consistent variable, three different variables, all with the same result, which means that your friend or your neighbor or your enemy all have the same value to Jesus. He says, call them what you may, you are called to love them. You can put whatever label you want on them, but I'm still gonna tell you to love them, to advocate for them because they're made in my image. They're my kids. 
A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. This is what Jesus' circle looked like. Jesus comes and brings everybody within himself. He's here for all people. And Peter is interacting and seeing all these groups that they're going to, and Jesus is healing. Right after Jesus said to love your enemies, he goes and heals somebody at the request of a Roman, the oppressors, the ultimate enemies. And his disciples would have been like, no way are we healing somebody for them. Forget those guys. They're our enemy. And Jesus is expanding the circle. We've got the rich and the poor. Of course, we, we know Jesus advocates for the poor and goes to them, but what about the rich? I see the story of the rich young ruler. Jesus is calling to the Imago Dei and this guy going, hey, there is so much more than the riches of this world. There are the riches of heaven that your soul crave. Walk with me. I've got more for you. I've got a bigger picture for your life. We've got rebels and Romans, a lot of political tension at that time, unrelatable for us in America right now, I'm sure. Nobody calls somebody an enemy because of their political disagreements here, right? A lot of people in this country, you know who the problem is? It's the liberals or it's the conservatives. If we could just get rid of them, this whole thing would work. They're the problem. And Jesus is going to all these different political groups and healing people and talking with them and seeing them as human beings and everybody's like, whoa, 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 whoa. How can you just be in the middle of all this and keep loving every single side? And we've got the lowest of the low. We talked about the tax collectors, the prostitutes, the adulterers, where everybody would say like, they got themselves in that mess, don't go near them. And Jesus goes and advocates for them, stands for the woman caught in adultery. This should intellectually just wreck us for the rest of our lives. Jesus washed Judas's feet before Judas went to betray him. I imagine Peter, even after the fact, was like, why did he do that? That's crazy. That guy was going to betray you and you washed his feet and Jesus would go, he still bears my image. Women and children, these might be people that Peter wouldn't necessarily, like, he wouldn't necessarily say, I'm like against them, but in this society, women were second-class citizens, children were thrown aside as nuisances. And Jesus comes and advocates for women unlike anybody ever has in the history of the world, brings them along with him. And so Peter, all of a sudden, his mind's being blown like, wait, they're part of us? Children, they're all, all disciples, like, keep them away from Jesus. He's got more important things to do. He goes, bring them to me, learn from them, treasure them, inherit the kingdom like them. Widows, lepers, a people group that the religious had cast away from them and said, but not them. They can't be a part of this because they're unholy in this way that we call them unclean. And all through church history, we have grabbed hold of certain groups of people because of their lives and things we may disagree with or what we think and what they think, and we've said, okay, but not them. There are people, because of Christians, that feel unwelcome to walk into the church. And Jesus would go, no, 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 bring them to me. He went and touched the lepers. He said, no, 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 I make all of you clean. Bring them to me. Criminals, the people that we say, they kind of had their chance. They screwed it up. And uh, on the cross, there's a guy next to Jesus on his cross that goes, hey, you shouldn't be here, but I should. I deserve to be here. Will you remember me wherever you're going? And Jesus goes, you will be with me today in paradise because right over here on my cross, I'm advocating for you. There's demon-possessed people, people who have gone down dark religious roads and Jesus calls the darkness out of them and says, no, you're my kid. The enemy's not gonna have any hold on you any longer. Heck, Jesus advocates for dead people. <laughs> people that can't even ask him to advocate for them. So he just raises them back to life. 
We've got ordinary people. You may feel you fall into this category of just kind of like, yeah, I'm just a normal person living my life. God probably doesn't have big plans for me. Probably how Peter felt. And Jesus goes, watch what I can do with a bunch of ordinary people when they catch hold of my gospel, when they realize that we are four people, that we have the best news in the world that we are going to take to everybody. And for Peter, this last group, this was his biggest struggle, the Gentiles. Peter had this idea that when the Messiah comes, he's coming for us, but certainly not for them. People from other nations, people of other races, people of other religions. And Jesus constantly challenges this in him. Constantly goes to people that he would say, you're not here for them though, right? They're so different than us. Their lifestyle is different than us. They look different than us. And Jesus goes, we're walking to their house right now. I'm going to talk to that Samaritan woman right now. This is who Jesus is. And so he has this, uh, this posture of being for people that takes Peter a long time to grasp. We'd like to think when Jesus walks out of the tomb that Peter's finally understood. But it's actually not until a ways into the book of Acts when the church has started, and Peter's one of the leaders, that we see this transformation take hold in Peter's heart. Because while he is leading the church with a lot of us, he's having this struggle as a lot of the early church leaders are about them, all the Gentiles, all the people from other nations, all the heathens, as they called them. And Peter has this moment, you can read about it, Acts chapter 10, where he has this encounter with God. And God reveals to him, hey, you have been playing this us versus them game for a long time, but that's not why my son was here. This is a bigger gospel than what you're willing to accept right now. And he starts to reveal to him all these rules and all these circles he drawn blows him up. And at this time, there's a Roman, the enemy, the oppressors that call for Peter because God says, hey, you need to get Peter to this house. And he tells Peter, you need to go. So Peter shows up to the house of some Roman people. The enemy, like I said, this had to have been the most uncomfortable, scary moment of his life. You think that showing up to a group or a hangout is kind of scary because there's gonna be some people you don't know. Peter's walking behind enemy lines. And he walks into this place, and here's what happens. He gets there, and he says, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? Peter's going, hey, everything within me the entire way I grew up goes against this moment. I shouldn't be here right now. If my friends hear about this, they're gonna be throwing some serious shade my way. I shouldn't be with you guys. However, Jesus has shown me that there's something bigger going on here than us versus them. And so why, why'd you call for me? What do you wanna know? And as Peter sits down at this table and has dinner with these people, I think that's what he realizes is, oh my gosh, these are people. They're very different than me. They have different backstories than me, but they're humans. And he tells them, they ask him about Jesus and he tells them who Jesus was and all of a sudden they're receptive and the night starts with awkwardness and ends with the baptism service. And Peter, I envision him in these moments like his life's flashing for his eyes and he's just thinking, oh, that's right. Like Jesus did bring women along with us. Oh, that's right, he did touch the lepers. Oh, that's right, he did talk to that Samaritan woman. Oh, that's right, he went to the Gentiles. Maybe the gospel is actually this big. And it comes really into this beautiful full circle moment because from here, Peter goes and people hear about this and a lot of the people in his us circle 
are mad at him. Like, how dare you go there? Why would you be amongst those people? And there ends up being this council of all the big wigs of the church, all the early church leaders in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 15, and they are talking about what do we do with all of them? What do we do now? Because the gospel seems to be reaching beyond our little circle of us, and they're different than us. They have different cultures than us, different backgrounds than us. They look different than us. What do we do about this? And Peter, who was once the ultimate us versus them guy, gets up in front of the entire crowd, and here's what he says. Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. You heard the story of me at the Romans house. God who knows the heart showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as he did to us. Here's the key. He did not discriminate between us and them for he purified their hearts by faith. Finally, for Peter, it has clicked what Jesus was trying to show him all along, that it is not us versus them, it's us for them. If we were the people who knew Jesus and walked with him, now we are here for all of them. Everybody we've put in circles out there, we are here for them. And we take our cues from Jesus at this church and that's why we are for people. And that's why we will speak up for people. And we will also listen and learn. And when it comes to people and groups of people who are being treated as less than the Imago Dei that's within them, when people are being marginalized and oppressed, we will speak up. That's why when our black brothers and sisters have not been experiencing the equality in this country that they deserve as image bearers, we will say something. And that's why when our Asian brothers and sisters in the past year, because of ignorance from people who are misunderstanding a virus and putting people into a them category, that's why we will remind our Asian brothers and sisters, no, 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 you bear the image of God. No, 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 there is no place in this world and not in this family for us to divide and draw circles based on how we look. One of the most beautiful things that God has given us is the difference in how he made us, to see the flavor of him through each other. So we will be for people. And we will speak up when somebody needs to be spoken for. And maybe more importantly, we will ask questions and listen and learn from somebody else. We will hear their story and listen. So that's who we're gonna be. Sounds awesome. Very challenging, like I said. In my own life, I have been on this journey now with Jesus for a while and he always seems to keep expanding the circle. And just when I think I've got it, I'm like, oh, I've still got kind of an us versus them mentality about that person or that group of people. And, and I've learned in so many different ways and I continue to, Ryan was very nice to say that I live this out really well and I'm about to squash that because I have had to learn this lesson in so many hard ways. Maybe uh, no more poignant for me than some time I spent in India. And we've talked about um, the three of us went and spent time with a pastor in India and he's devoted to uh, getting kids out of the red light district destiny and giving them a chance at life. And he goes into the red light district and he sits with prostitutes, these women who have been pushed into be, being sex workers and their children and he brings food to them and prays for them and says, hey, you're created in the image of God. And maybe everybody else around you is not making you feel that way, but you are created in the image of God. So we went with him and we were in the red light district a bunch while we were there and the whole time as we're like sitting in shacks with these women and we're praying for them and we're telling them about how much Jesus loves them, I'm thinking like, we're really doing this. Like we're living the gospel disciple life here. This is like the least of these in this culture at the lowest of the caste system in this horrible socioeconomic status, all these things at the bottom of the heap and we're here. Like patting myself on the back a little bit. 
And as we're there, we realize in the red light district, there's pimps around. The people who are fueling this awful, horrific reality. People behind this. And so in our noble, tough, young Christian guy mentality, we're talking at night and we truly got to a place of like Batman, like vigilante, like you know what would solve this problem? We just take those guys out. (laughs) If we take them out, we'll solve the problem. And patting ourselves on the back, feeling noble about that, like yeah, let's do that. We're talking with Pastor Timothy, who's one of the most Christ-like people I've ever met, and he tells us when he goes into the red light district, he will look the pimps in the eye and talk to them and treat them as human beings. They know why he's there, he knows why they're there. But his hope and dream is that maybe even they could realize that they are created in the image of God and the people around them are created in the image of God. And that goes against everything in me. I'm like, they're evil. Look at what they're doing. And he's like, yeah, but no kid grows up dreaming about oppressing people. They have a backstory. Maybe this was their only way in the red light district, who knows? But call them what you want, you're called to love them. And so I'm like, all right, I'm gonna pray for the pimps. Leaving India, like God, just knock them off some donkeys, do whatever you gotta do. (laughs) Now I figured it out. Now I've mastered not having an us versus them mentality, right? Normally when we think we've mastered uh, being like Jesus, he challenges us and shows us that we haven't. So a couple years later, my wife and I went back to India with some friends. And we went into the red light district and I told this story a long time ago at our church with some ridiculous photos, but um, these women, these uh, sex workers pulled together to throw a little wedding celebration for us because we had just gotten married. It was one of the most beautiful, humbling moments of my life. And we're there singing and eating food and they put some like traditional clothes on us and it was so cool. So we go into town after that and of course everybody's like, "Uh, who are they and why are they dressed like that? We kind of stuck out. And so Timothy, the pastor, they come to him, they're like, who are these foreigners and why are they dressed like that? And the cool thing was, we actually, people were taking our picture, we actually got in the newspaper. Um, There's my wife and I, so ridiculous. And it, it was a cool thing because ultimately what it led to was a lot of people asking Timothy, like, why would you take those people into the red light district? And uh, he got to say, this is what my ministry's about, is there's these people in our society at the lowest of the low, and we're, we're supposed to serve and love them. And it brought this great awareness and attention, and I thought, well, this is the coolest thing ever for everybody, except for the Christians in town. The Christians caught wind of it, saw the newspaper, and we were supposed to go visit this church. And uh, they called Timothy, we're gonna go visit on Sunday, they called Timothy beforehand and say, hey, we saw the newspaper, we don't want you coming here with those people. How dare you go into an unholy place like that? How dare you go and eat with those people, with them? My wife got cornered by a woman when we visited a school who was from the church who goes, what were you thinking going and being around them? You know, some of those women are Hindu. And I was furious. And I realized, okay, now I figured it out. I came here thinking the pimps were the problem, but you know what, church, you're the problem. So all of us who are doing this the right way and look just like Jesus and all these people trying to serve, we're gonna be in our circle and you guys can stay over there. Figured it out, right? Again, God revealing to me, no, this is them for you. And for a lot of my walk, my group has been the Pharisees, has been Christians, has been religious people who I think, oh, you make God look bad. Jesus, you probably don't want anything to do with them because they're not doing it how 
we're doing it. Even this week, I caught myself in things I think and say, and I was like, oh my gosh, I still carry this us versus them mentality towards other Christians. And I have felt justified in that. And you may have a different group of them. Maybe this will help you understand or see who yours are. But for me, I have felt justified in looking at religious and Pharisee-like people and seeing them as them, as the problem, because I always think, well, Jesus, those were your enemies, right? Like you kind of went after those guys. You went to bat and you argued with each other and you got in their faces and, and they're the ones who killed you. But Jesus always has a little checkmate on us when we think we've justified calling somebody an enemy that we wouldn't love. So on the cross, this group, them, the Pharisees, the ones making, not just making God look bad, the ones killing God out of their own arrogance and self-righteousness are killing God. And how does he respond? Jesus cries out and he says, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. This to me is the most powerful moment of advocacy that I think I've ever seen. Because Jesus is advocating to his father for the very men that are killing him. And he's bringing this full circle for the Pharisees when they hear, hear this, he's going, hey, a long time ago I told you guys I came for the sick and you're sick, you just don't know it. Father, forgive them, they don't even know that they're sick with self-righteousness and religion, this sickness within them, forgive them. And I'm just sitting there at my chessboard and Jesus, checkmate. I'm like, even them? I think we ask ourselves and ask God that question a lot, even them? Even those people, really? And Jesus is always going, you could call him your friend, call him your neighbor, call him your enemy, call to love him, call to advocate for them, call to find a way to see the image of God within them as hard as it might be. Now, my hope is that we would be people who expand our circle to the point that ultimately they just blow up. But the reality is that relationships and people are difficult. We've established that today. Don't have to make a case for that. And this is about a perspective and a mindset when it, when it comes to being for people and expanding our circle. I'll illustrate it this way. My wife and I, the other night, were in a fight. I don't even know what it was about, of course, but we were sitting on two separate couches in our family room, sitting away from each other, not talking, TV's on, not saying a word. And as we're sitting there, I get a text from my wife. And I had been, I've been having some lower back pain. And so it's this, this graphic she found with stretches that help with lower back pain. And texted me this in the middle of a fight. It was so disarming. I was laughing and I was thinking, really? I was probably a jerk. You're mad at me right now. And yet you're still texting me ways to improve my lower back pain problem. And what I realized in that moment is, hey, even when we're mad at each other, we're still for each other. Even when we still have frustration between each other, we're still for each other. And that's who we've gotta to be to expand our circle. So I've got two questions for you. The first one is just who's outside your circle? Be honest with yourself. There's a lot of times like for me where I was like, I don't even wanna write that down, God, because then you're gonna know that I have an us versus them mentality. And he's like, hey, the only way, yeah, he didn't know. The only way, like, yeah, kill the pimps and get the church out of here. He's like, yeah, I was able to grasp it from the way that you act. But the first step is just identifying this real reality in us that we draw circles. And there are people who may think differently than you or look differently than you or act differently than you or vote differently than you that you would put into another category. 
And so the question is first to identify them and then start to realize maybe why, and maybe even take a leap of faith to try to grow. Maybe take a very literal note out of Peter's playbook and just go have a meal with somebody that you would put in that them circle. How about this as a ground rule? You don't get to decide how you feel about somebody or a group of people until you sit down and buy them lunch and ask to hear their story. Because when you hear somebody's story, it starts to change and you start to suddenly see them as God's kid made in his image. Every mission trip I ever went on in college, I would like make my roster as we're at the airport. I'm like, annoying, embarrassing, weird, don't talk to me. And then we'd sit around through the trip at night and hear people's testimonies and I'd be like, I am the worst. Okay, maybe even you do rub me the wrong way, but my gosh, now that I know what you're walking through, all I wanna do is just hug you and tell you that you're made in the image of God and Jesus came for you, that he loves you, that he advocated for you on the cross and now I wanna advocate for you too. The story of the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman that Jesus goes to is mind-blowing to his disciples for all these reasons. And we hear that story and one of the things that we pick out is when Jesus tells her, hey, I, I know that you've had a lot of husbands that you've been living this life kind of jumping from husband to husband. And we tend to read that and be like, promiscuous, sleazy woman, went from man to man. I've heard that some scholars believe that actually the woman at the well was barren, couldn't have kids. In a culture when having a child was really the main purpose of a wife and that husbands would just kick her out the door because she couldn't produce a child. And when you hear that, you're like, oh my gosh, I'm the worst. I made a judgment about you, just like the disciples, like, don't go be around her. And here's the deal. Even if she was a promiscuous woman, Jesus would have still met her at the well and gone, there's a backstory here too. There's a reason that you've gotten yourself in this situation. There are no boundaries for Jesus. So who is outside of your circle? And for some of you, you may have some people in mind and there may be some relationships that are actually toxic and dangerous to you. And I'm not saying you have to be somebody's best friend or stay in that very unhealthy relationship. Sometimes advocating for the Imago day is a breakup of saying, we're not bringing out the best in each other. And, but what I am saying is you can still pray for somebody from afar that they would one day realize that they are created in the image of God, maybe as much as they've hurt you, to seek to find forgiveness in your heart, to advocate for the fact that they are created in the image of God. So who is outside of your circle? And here's my other question. Can you be for someone without being against someone else? This, I don't have the answer to this, I'll be honest. Because what we do is we start to think like, I'm gonna advocate for them, and that means you guys are over there. Now you're in the them category, and we keep drawing circles. But Jesus had this amazing ability, and I only believe it's possible with his love within us, his spirit, to be for someone without being against somebody else. To even see people that we might call enemies in our advocacy and say, but they still bear the image of God. We may disagree. I may not like the way they think or act, but I'm still for people. So if you guys would stand to your feet as we worship, my challenge to you is to go to God and maybe ask him, hey, this week or today, would you give me a moment like Peter had? Would you expand my circle? Maybe even blow it up. Maybe I find myself sitting at a table that I have no business being at and realizing the gospel is this big. Jesus' love is this expansive. And call them what you want. You're called to love them. And that's who we're gonna be as a church family, for people. So Jesus, help us. We are broken, God. We draw circles. It's just in our nature. So would you help us? I pray that you would reveal to us right now people that are outside of our circle, that we'd be able to be honest with you and honest with ourselves 
And would you create opportunities and conversations for us to learn and listen and see the backstory behind the person? Would you transform our hearts? Would you give us moments like Peter had to blow our minds with the goodness of your love, the magnitude of the gospel, that ultimately we would realize that this battle is not against flesh and blood, that we just don't have enemies, that everybody is your child and they're created in the image of God. And would we be people who advocate to people to make sure they know that and for people when they're not being treated as such. Would you move right now? We give you this time of worship in Jesus' name, amen.